All right, so I have four children, and man, the, the children are making me older and older because they're just getting bigger and bigger. And there's this weird dynamic to their growth that about the time that they're a little bit past 10, they are able to cook more meals and dishes than I could when I was probably 30. And with this newfound wisdom in cooking comes newfound opinions about how everything is cooked and made and what tastes better. And the children who have been taught from my wife how to cook things are now arguing with her about things like when they're making homemade pizza, do we bake the pizza with the cheese on it the entire time or do we just put the cheese on at the end so that it melts just a little bit? And there's, there's like battles that are brewing in my house because they're so passionate. They're such little foodies about food. And I, of course, being a wise person, understand that my wife's opinion about it is correct no matter what is really thought inside of my mind. But it's funny because the older kids, they, they have these really developed palettes of what they like and don't like about food. And so when we get to birthdays, it's like they want to go to the steakhouse now. And they want to go to hibachi. And it's like now we've had to, okay, the birthday girl gets to go to hibachi. Everybody else is staying home and eating because, I mean, you know, you know how it is. But it's funny because the older kids have these refined palates. They want to go get sushi at a nice sushi place or something. And the younger kids are like, let's go to McDonald's for their birthday. And the older kids, you would have think they just got stabbed because they're well. No, you have all the options in the world to pick from. All of the great restaurants, all of the seafood restaurants, all of the sushi places, and you want to go to McDonald's? And the young kids are like, well, it comes with a toy and indigestion and instant food regret as soon as you eat it. Why, with all of the great options, would you pick something that is so cheap and quick as McDonald's in such low quality? Why would you do that when you have all these great options? Well, the other options take longer and we have to drive further. It's, they're like, it's worth it. And that, that sentiment that our older kids have now with our younger kids, I believe is one that you've probably seen in the lives of more mature believers as they've tried to help guide you in life, where they're looking and speaking into your life and they're saying, you have freedom to choose. But don't you understand that God has something better for you than what you're settling for right now? You're settling for quick, you're settling for cheap, but God has something better that might require more time. It might have a higher cost. It might take you a little bit to get there, but God has something better for you than what you've been settling for. And today we're, we're going to be looking in in. Nehemiah. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to Nehemiah. But to just catch you up, we're in a long series right now. You're going to do just fine if it's your first time with us in a long time. Don't worry. It'll make sense. But we're in a series that is covering from the very beginning of creation, going all the way to the very end in Revelations. And as we started studying the story, we see the lower story, what God does specifically in the lives of people like Adam and Eve or in Nehemiah's life. But we're also looking at the upper story of redemption, how God is writing this story across generations that he started with giving us everything that we needed. And as we rejected him and chose sin instead of him, God began this act of redemption by raising up a nation. 
And we're at the part of the story where the nation has rebelled against God once again, but God is forgiving and beginning to bring them home and reestablish their city. And that's where we pick up with Nehemiah. And some people had, have already returned home after being dispersed and exiled from their country and they re rebuilt the temple. And we talked about that a little bit last week as we looked at Esther. And today we're looking at Nehemiah, who's known for rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Now, some context information about Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer for the king, which meant he had the best food the world had to offer in his job. It just came with the one drawback that if it ever tasted kind of funny, it meant that he was probably going to die because that was his job was to be poison control for the king. And Nehemiah, his relationship with the king was close enough that the king could see if there was something off in Nehemiah's face for the day. He could tell when he was sad. But Nehemiah knew his role, that if anyone ever spoke to a king out of context, that if you asked the king for something and the king wasn't in a very good mood that day, for you to ever suggest that you would rather be doing anything other than just being in the presence of the king, that was enough for the king to set up a pole and impale you and let you slowly die in front of the other servants so that they would know to never question the authority or the great privilege of you being with the king. So that's, that's the condition of life that Nehemiah is currently in as we pick up this passage for today. We're gonna begin in Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through five, and we'll put it up on the screen as I read it. In the month of Nisan, which I wanna just pause on that month for a minute because we see that and we're like, what's the big deal? Why include what month it was? Well, one of the reasons they included the month is this was the month that, that God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. And so just even from the calendar, that as God begins to restore his people, that, that there, there, are, there are shadows and parallels that go back to why this month did God start to act. And so while that memory of God restoring and sending God's people out of Egypt was fresh in their mind, this is what began to happen. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, this is Nehemiah writing and speaking, and says, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? King gets a little bit worried when cupbearer looks a little bit off. So why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now in today's message, I wanna give you three, three things, three steps, three concepts to move from good to great, to move from the things that you've been settling on to the things that God has called you to. And I want to be clear to you, this is not a, a prosperity message. I do believe God wants to move you from good to great because what we see is that wherever the spirit of God is, there will be, there will be peace, there will be patience, there will be kindness, there will be self-control, that there are better things than what you've been living in 
right now that God wants for you that will become evident when the Spirit of God is powerfully at work in your life. That God will take you to great things, but he will move you through difficult things to get there. But it is so much better to be in the middle of difficulty on the way to God's will than to be in relative peace knowing that you are moving further and further away from God. When I say I want you to embrace the great things that God has for you in life, that might mean moving through a season of difficulty because I want to assure you that as you look at the life of Nehemiah, you're going to understand that God's calling on Nehemiah's life led him through some difficult things because think about his job. His job was to eat great food. His job was to live in the palace. We don't know for certain that he lived in the palace, but I'm going to tell you this much, that if the king wanted a snack in the middle of the night, he probably didn't want to wait till Nehemiah got to the palace from his house. He wanted him close by. And so Nehemiah lived in a protected area. He had a stable position. He had great benefits. He enjoyed all of the luxuries of being around in palace life. And then what happened, what disrupted this great track that Nehemiah's life was on is that he had visitors. His brother came from Jerusalem to tell him about the condition of the city. And when Nehemiah got the information about what was happening in God's city, it messed his heart up. It it disturbed him. He couldn't get it off of his mind. Scripture actually says that he prayed for, depending on if it was a leap year, which we're not sure of, about 117 days that he was praying about what should happen because his heart was troubled about Jerusalem before he ever even had this conversation with the king. And I want to be clear that God has designed you to make a difference in this world. No matter how comfortable your life is, no matter how challenging things are right now, part of God's design for you, created in his image, is that you would be an instrument of the kingdom of God, that you would be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, that you would be used by God to make a difference. And when God begins to reveal to you his plan, he often reveals to you what he wants you to do. And this might sound weird, but by making you angry about something. Some of you guys are like, I have a whole lot of God's calling on my life then. Because I'm a whole lot angry about a whole lot of things. Listen to me. Often one of the ways that we discern the areas that we should make a difference is when we look at something and we're like, something needs to be done about that. Like single moms, like they need help. Single dads, they need help. They need assistance. Where's their family? Where is their church? Where's their neighbor? Where are the people who are supposed to be doing something? And then all of a sudden, God's spirit says, where are you? Like someone else was supposed to handle that thing that I was, no, you, you go and do something. If it bothers you knowing that there's families that are families in Lee County that are going to sleep at night without food in the cabinets of their house, that there are kids going to bed hungry, there's part of you that likes to say, well, where's the government? Where's the church? Where's their neighbors? Where's their family? Where are you? And usually when God stirs something up and you're like, I hate that that's happening in our city, I would say that's usually the beginning of God moving you to meet that need. And Nehemiah, when he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem, he, it says that he fasted and prayed for 117-ish days. When was the last time that you were so certain that God needed to do something, that you, you were so 
dependent on God to answer a prayer that you said, I'm going to fast and pray about this, that I'm going to go without food during the day so that every time I feel a hunger pain, I will turn that hunger pain into a prayer about the thing that is on my heart because I need and I want and I have to have God act in this area. When was the last time that you saw it? Because I want to make sure we're clear on this, that Nehemiah prayed about it for 117 days, but he didn't wait to take action until that conversation with the king. Prayer is an action. Prayer is a work. Prayer is, is something that you do to answer a situation. Prayer, prayer is not saying, oh, I'll pray for you about that. And far too many Christians fall into, this is the description of their prayer life. They hear a need, they tell you they'll pray about it, and then they never think about it, talk about it, or pray about it again. And I want to challenge you that if there is something disrupted in your life, that if your heart is torn up about something that's happening in your life, your career, or your family, begin to authentically bring that before God. It should not shock you. I, I love it so much when it happens, and, and we see it happen just, just on a weekly basis within the church. I get to hear these reports. But even last Sunday, I was talking to someone in our church, and they're like, I have an impossible situation in my career. I need something for my job that you cannot get. I need a licensure, license from the nation to do something for my job, and it's not even available. You can't even buy it. And I was like, well, let's pray about it. And I checked in with him a couple days later, and, and he's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, we've been praying about it. I'll believe it. <laughs> God does this kind of thing. He, he's like, God opened a door, and through this connection, I got the license from someone else who was retiring, and it never should have happened. And I'm like, but that's how God does things. And he waits until our heart turns towards him. Otherwise, we'll just look at it and be like, oh, it's just happenstance. God will put you on a delay to get something answered until you actually start bringing it before his throne because he wants you to see that you have a heavenly father who has his hand on your life. And if you continue to try to run this life on your own, under your own strength, under your own conditions, you're going to continue to miss out on blessing and opportunity. You're going to continue to settle for less than what God has for you in his life, in, in your life. He's going to try to turn your head towards him and he'll use difficulty and he'll use pain to get your attention. And because what he wants to do is he wants to help you make the decision and the determination of what is it that you actually want in life. Because so many of us get distracted with thinking we just want comfort. Our heart gets postured towards if things are comfortable, I don't want anything else. Like I just want comfort. And God has so much more for you than just comfortable. I, I, I love this situation because Nehemiah has this great stirring in his heart of he wants something for Jerusalem. And then the king asks him this, this, this blat, blat, blatant, flat-out question. What is it that you want? I wonder how many people here with us today that if someone stepped in front of you that had the capacity to, to get you towards the dreams and the goals that you have for your life, your family, your, your career. And they said, I can grant it to you. What is it that you want? I wonder how many of us could answer that question. They said, I'm going to help you fulfill the calling that God has put on your life. I'm going to fund you. I'm going to position you. I'll get you to the place you need to be. What is it that you want? How many of us have even figured that out? And I, I'm going to tell you, you need to figure out and determine what it is that you want from life, what it is that you believe God is calling you to do, what it is that you believe God is calling you to do to make a difference in this life. You need to figure it out 
Because until you figure it out, you're going to continue to sway between here's the cheap and easy satisfaction for the day and here's what God actually wants from me. And until you get to the point where you say, I want all that God wants for me, even if that means difficulty, then you're going to continue to settle for whatever is available. And until you reach the point that, that says, and some of you guys have experienced this, you've walked through it, because when you determine, I want what God wants for me and nothing less, then that means there's relationships that you will say, I have to get out of this relationship because it is destructive. It is outside of the will of God. I am not equally yoked. They are not moving in the direction of God in the way that I know I am called to. Until you get to the point where you say, I want what God wants for me, for you to get out of that relationship means you'll endure a time of loneliness and isolation because you've depended on that person for things that are unhealthy and outside of God's bounds. And until you say, I want what God wants for me, even if it means difficulty, even if it means loneliness, even if it means my friends will look at me and they'll say, what are you doing? Until you get to the point where you say, God's will above all other things in my life, you're gonna continue to find these little trails and you think they're shortcuts. You think they'll satisfy, but all they do is they leave you more and more hurt and more and more hollowed and more and more in pain. And so you need to determine what you want, not what kind of car you want to drive, but what, what, what matters most in your life. Is Christ on the throne? Does he have authority? Does what he teach you have supremacy over the opinions of others? Or are you just going to continue to pursue what's comfortable? So determine what it is. Because it's going to set a course for your life. And for Nehemiah, it meant leaving the comforts of the palace life and moving towards a city where, first of all, everybody there didn't want to follow his leadership. And then there were surrounding nations that as Nehemiah got there, Nehemiah got permission to go and he went and he looked at it and everything was just in ruins and he was weeping. And, and there's people who follow the leadership and people who didn't, but the neighboring nations, it's amazing how people who don't like each other can, re, can unite over a common cause, like all hating the same person. And, and as Nehemiah lists out the nations that were opposing him and the people that were opposing him, this is what you need to know about those nations, that they were north, East, south, and west. And if you know anything about military strategy, what you don't want to do is to have to fight a war on your north, on your east, on your south, and on your west. And these neighboring nations were saying, we're going to come for you and you're not going to be able to do something because this, this city is a laughingstock. The, the prospect of rebuilding an entire wall around an entire city, while we don't want you to do it, it's impossible. And so the criticism and the self-doubt were all part of this, and he's leaving the comfort of the palace to go and pursue this calling. And so there's a decision that has to be made when you're going out and you're saying, okay, I'm going I'm to seek after what God wants first. That number two is you need to commit to the work. When you, could, when you say God's will first for my life, you have to make a decision to commit to the work because if you don't decide before the pain starts, you'll decide that the pain is a sign that I went the wrong direction. If you don't decide that I'm committed to this no matter what, before things get difficult, when it gets difficult, you're gonna be like, I read the road signs wrong. 
I took a wrong turn. God's will is supposed to be easier for my life, not harder. No, God will lead you through a valley before he leads you to a mountaintop. God will bring you through difficulty so that you have to tear away from the unhealthy dependencies before he leads you to a foundation on which you can build your life. And so we have to commit to the work. And so this is what the work looked like for Nehemiah in chapter four, verses 21 through 23. It says, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. I wanna make sure you look at the picture that, so Nehemiah went from palace life, palace food, palace beds, palace luxuries, to all day we work on the wall, all night we stand guard. We don't even have time to change clothes. It's not even safe enough to put your spear down when you go to get water because the threats are that aggressive. There will be times and seasons and weeks in the life of the follower of God where the schedule does not make sense, where the workload is too much, where it feels like it's too much to handle. And I am not proposing to you that you should go years or decades at an unhealthy speed. I believe that pace in life matters, but there are times and moments where the pace in life will be a lot. For Nehemiah and the men, it was 52 days where they worked like this. They would work on the wall until the stars came out and then they would guard the city. And sleep was at a minimum and exhaustion was high. But that's where God called them to be at in this time. And I don't want anyone in our body to believe the lie that if you're in God's will, that it will just be easy. Sometimes God's will is exhausting. Sometimes God's will is, is a difficult pace for a while, but it doesn't mean that you heard wrong. It doesn't mean that you should faint back. There's so many things that when we, when we begin to invite God to work in certain areas of our life, that the work that he calls us to do is difficult. I'm gonna tell you, you see, if God is calling you to deal with some things from your past, heart work is hard work. Dealing with what has happened in the past of your life and bringing it out into the light, I understand that is painful. And a lot of people shy away from it when they sense God saying, okay, we need to deal with what happened. And they wanna, they wanna just draw back into the shadows again. I wanna tell you, do the hard work. Endure the difficulty for the joy that's set before you. You gotta make the commitment to do that work before you get into it because it, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it just feels like there's no end, but there will be an end. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy is getting out on the water. 
And here locally in Southwest Florida, one of the, the places, if you go out of somewhere like Fisherman's Village in Punta Gorda, when, when you set out to get towards Caya Costa or some of the islands that we have the benefit of having right here, it's an 18 mile trip. If you're on the water, you can only see about three miles ahead of you. On a clear day, flat day, you can see about three miles of water. And this is the, the thing about that trip or any trip on the water. When you're out in the middle of the water, there is a sense and a feeling of, are we even going anywhere right now? Because I can't even see the destination. It's like, I, I know we're heading in a direction, but are we ever going to get there? Because I can't even see the goal that I wanna get to. And having had the luxury of you know, growing up around the water some and going on some long boat trips, I understand that even if it feels like you're not getting anywhere because there's not many road signs out there in the middle of the water. If, if you're going, you're gaining ground. Even if it feels like I can't see us getting any closer because I can't even see the destination. You, you understand, you set your heading and you keep going and you will get there. And if in life you, you have reached a point where you understand, I need to make a change, but it just feels like I'm doing the right things and there is no improvement. You've got to follow your heading. You've got to stay your course. If you're fighting an addiction, if you're rebuilding a marriage, if you're rebuilding a business, if you're getting your life on track again, and it feels like we're not gaining any ground, stay on course. And eventually, you're going to approach that point where it finally seems like, okay, I can see it finally. I'll tell you, being on a boat and, and going on trips like that, throw a six-year-old in the mix, you'll have the, the vocalization of, are we actually going to get there? And wisdom experience will tell that immature voice, yes, you just got to wait. We're going to make it. And if it's felt like you've been trying to move in the right direction, Stay on track, stay committed to where you're going and you'll, you'll make it there eventually. And the third thing that I wanna tell you about moving from, from good to great is the last thing, but it's really the first thing because we can make the decision about where we wanna go in life. We, we can say, this is the dream, this is the vision, this is where we wanna go. We can be committed to the idea of the vision, but where so many of us get tripped up is in just the getting started. It's like, in my heart, I really wanna do this. I know what it is that I wanna do. I know what it is that I wanna change. And I'm really gonna start on this next Monday. And as Nehemiah got to the wall and he, he was heartbroken by seeing all of the work. The neighboring nations, they made fun of him like this. And I'm sure that this was a very insulting thing to say. They, they said, if a fox even jumps on the wall that you guys are building, it's gonna fall over. And I'm sure that that was incredibly offensive back then. But when it looks impossible, it becomes possible by just saying, this rock, this stone, this day. What seems like it's too far of a distance to travel is just saying the next right decision is all that I'm accountable for right now. I'm not accountable for next week. I'm not accountable for tomorrow. I'm accountable for right now. And so making the next right decision is what I'm gonna do. And as you continue to just stay committed to the next right decision, the next right decision, can't worry about everything, can't worry about everything that's happened 
in the past, can't worry about everything that might happen in the future. I can control right now. I'm going to make the next right decision right now. And then eventually you reach the point that they reach in chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, where it says, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of El in the 52 days. 52 days of working night and day, guarding night and day. It says, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, this is one of the things that I love about the Nehemiah story because what they did, it seemed impossible in the eyes of the neighboring nations. And the way that God brought it to completion was faithfulness, what was determination in the hearts and the minds of people. What did not happen is a giant fish did not swim by and vomit a wall out. A wall did not fall down from heaven. The Israelites did not march around the city and a wall did not grow up from the ground. There was no supernatural answer to the problem. The answer that God had in mind in the way that God worked in the situation was one person at a time doing their job, doing their part, grabbing one stone, putting it in place, little bit by little bit, passion by passion, moment by moment, get it done, commitment, keep sweating, keep working until it's complete. And so often in your life, I love the times where God does something supernatural and he heals and a cancer is gone or capacity is restored. And that's an awesome testimony. But more times than not, God's answer to our situation is be diligent. Stay committed. Stay determined. And get started. So if you know what you need to do in your family right now, if you know what you need to do in your career or in your relationships right now, if there's reconciliation that needs to happen right now, then get started and take the step. If it's reconciliation, send the message you need to send. Make the call you need to make. If it's improvements to your health, then go home and throw out the food that doesn't belong in your household right now. If it's beginning to serve, then sign up and get serving. If it's going to your neighbor and and beginning to love them the way that you love yourself, then begin to take those steps and go and knock on the door. But get started. Don't put it off to next Monday again because you are capable of doing so much more than you expect. Band, if you guys will come up, I'm gonna begin to wrap this thing up. I saw in the news the story of Alex Roca, and Alex was born with cerebral palsy. He's 76% disabled. The doctors told his family when he was born that he will either die as a very young child or he will live his life in a vegetable state. And though the left side of his body is is partially paralyzed and he has to use sign language to be able to communicate clearly to people, his determination and will is going to be challenging to you. He's a great example of what we call impossible is really just us not wanting to leave what is comfortable. I'm going to show you a picture of him. In five hours and 50 minutes, this record-setting occurrence of someone who is 76% disabled 
ran an entire marathon. Five hours and 50 minutes. They, they told him he wouldn't even walk. What kind of spark and fire is inside somebody's heart and mind? When people tell them you can't walk and they say, I'll run marathons, they sign, I'll run marathons. The capacity that God has put in the human heart and the human mind to achieve is far beyond what we like to admit. And things that you have said in your life that it would be impossible for you to do, it's really that you just like how comfortable you are. It would be impossible for me to get out of this relationship. It would be impossible for me to begin to live God's way. It would be impossible for me to get out of debt. It would be impossible for me to get out of this addiction. It would be uncomfortable. It would be uncomfortable for weeks. It would be uncomfortable for months. But don't you dare limit what God would do through your life by calling it impossible. He's a God who works miracles, but he is also a God who will empower you with determination and perseverance. But you've got to figure out what it is that you want in life. Do you want God's best or do you want what's comfortable and convenient? Will you be committed to the vision that he puts on your life? And will you actually get started? That's the challenge, church. Get started. I like seeing when our church corporately does things, like when we have gone and worked on people's houses, when we've served meals, when we've you know, said, okay, we're gonna put backpacks together and give backpacks out at Island Coast High School or to foster kids. I like when the corporate thing happens and we say, this is what we're gonna do. But my favorite thing is when I get to hear um, about people in our church who had the audacity to start serving the world without asking permission from their church. Like it, it boggles my mind that someone would be like, you know what, I'm gonna, begin to help feed impoverished people in, in a Central American country through a family member who lives there and has an opportunity and they didn't even clear it through the church. I love that. I love hearing about people who they had a sick person or someone who had surgery in their small group and they set up meals and they brought meals before we could ever organize a meal train even for them and they cared for people because that's what the gospel calls us to do. I love that. Don't wait to obey the vision that God has put on your heart for the church to put together a program to fulfill the calling that God has asked you to do. If God has put something on your heart, you get started. And if we can empower you and come alongside you, you bet we will. But don't make an excuse that if God has given you a vision and a calling, it's on you to pursue it. And God will enable you. But you have to make a decision. Will you get started? Let me pray for you. Father, will you just embolden our heart? Would you stir up the courage that is inside of us? Would you stir up the expectation for what you could do for the future years of our life if we in this moment will say what we want first is what God wants? And that if it leads us through difficulty, then so be it, we'll trust you. And we trust you so much that we're gonna get started now. We're gonna get started today. We're gonna believe for it now. And would you give us the courage and the filling of your spirit, the knowledge that you are with us to take the steps that we need to take because we know you have something better for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?